such an awesome bunch of people here today in this place of good news. I know we've got some people who are new to One Heart. We just hope you're having a great morning this morning. And everyone who's not new to One Heart, I hope you're having a great morning too. Uh, how about we give a round of applause if you are having a good morning? I can hear it. I can hear it. That's good. Um, my name is Kylie. I'm part of the team. I'm so privileged to be able to be the facilitator at Bible College, which is open to anyone. If you want to join us, uh, you're welcome to come and talk to me about that. If you don't have a Bible, uh, everyone's been talking about the Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a whole bunch of free ones that we'd love to give you. Um, if you have a smartphone, well, they're all smartphones now, aren't they? If you've got a phone that's like digital and not ring the buttons around there and you can put it in your pocket you can get the free bible on your phone you can even use our wi-fi so it's totally free if you don't know how to put that on then come and see me after the uh, service today and everyone was just having a good old chat there i'm sorry to interrupt you after the service heaps more time come over to stay over in this area we've got some fancy coffees care of the bible college uh, students special actual cappuccinos and the like um, so we've got a proper cafe going over here today. Make sure you stick around and join us for a cup of tea and, and a bit of a chat. So um, can you tell already that I'm from New Zealand? You can. <laughs> some can, some can't. <laughs> yeah, almost. One day I will be. Uh, so I'm from Auckland in New Zealand. Long time ago, somehow this accent just sticks around. It depends who I talk to. Um, I was brought up in New Zealand and Auckland, and um, so that's the city. I'm a country bumpkin now. You should see me in Adelaide. I'm like, when can I go? No one leaves a space. It's scary driving in the city now. Escalators and elevators, it's full on in the city. I'm a country bumpkin now. But I was a city girl, and uh, I got f there's four kids in my family, so an older brother, then me, then my younger sister and my younger brother. We're spread all over the world now. New Zealand, Brisbane, here, obviously, and London, yeah, was far spread. And my parents just flit and float in between us all. Uh, when my um, brothers got to the age where they were like in their early 20s and they went into the city at night, uh, they'd catch the bus because we lived in a city and there's buses like we don't have here. So they'd catch the bus and go into the city to like be Friday night frolic in the city uh, as lads. And my mum would always say, she never said this to us girls, my mum would always say as the boys were going off, remember where you came from. Have a nice time, but remember where you came from. And it was a bit of a joke that they'd always say that to my mum and, and they'd say it to each other. And I was, one, I was like, what is this about, mum? Because do you think they're going to forget like, what bus to get home on? They don't know where they're from or they're going to get confused how to get home? Why do you keep saying, remember where you came from? And she said, no, it's about remembering that they're from me and your father, they're part of our family, so that when they're out in the city, they don't think they're just free and easy young people in the night in the city and that their decisions won't affect anyone. They'll remember they're from this family and whatever they choose to do, I'll know about it in the morning. <laughs> so now whenever we see each other randomly each few years when we catch up, my brothers, when we leave, they'll always say that. They'll have a bit of a go with my mum. You know, remember where you came from and they'll say it to each other. It's just a bit of a joke in our family now. But it's actually a profound truth, isn't it? To know where you are from, to know who you are, to know your identity, to know that you belong to a, a, a place or a group or have that sense of belonging. 
if you have that, if you, that makes a context for your life. This is who I am and this is who I'm not. So when you know that, when you have that framework or that context of your life, then when you're making decisions, and we make hundreds every day, big ones and small ones, when you're making decisions, it's within that framework, within that context, and you're likely to make good decisions that lead you into a better and better life. When you have no context for your life, when you have no sense of who am I, where am I from, who do I belong to, what, where am I going, when there's no context around that, then what are decisions being made on? What can you possibly be making choices on? All that we've got is how we feel. And we see that now all the time, more and more in Australia and around the world. People are making all of their decisions just on how they feel. There isn't really this idea that there's a real truth or that there's a real, um, you know, that anything is true, things are subjective. And, and so if we're just making our decisions on our feelings, hands up if you know feelings change. You can enter a situation one day and enter it the next, and depending how hungry you were, you'll be reacting differently. Does everyone know that word hangry? You know that one now? I don't know where that's from. Is that from like an ad or something? People are like, yeah, I know that word. When I'm hungry, I'm angry. I turn into like one of those weird people don't have my Mars bar or whatever it is. Snickers, yeah. <laughs> so our feelings change. So we were not created, human beings were not created to base our lives. That's a shaky foundation. To base your life on what feels good, what feels right today. It seems like it might be right. This feels right. Go with your gut, that's a saying, like this. Go with it. But it's not. It's a shaky foundation to have as the context of your life. So we look to the Bible for our answers. Um, Ibs, can I have that verse up? Thank you. And um, I don't know if you have ever uh, struggled with these ideas yourself. I meet people on a at least weekly basis who have this. It's really like a war going on in yourself, isn't it? If you're fighting against yourself and your own identity, there's no one to blame you. It's a war within yourself. This sense of who am I? How do I? Am I worthwhile? Am I? Have I got any value? Where do I get value from? People are running everywhere trying to get more value in themselves from their jobs, from their money, from how they look, how much they weigh, what they, who they're married to, who their family is. We're always trying to get more of that stuff, not just because it's fun, but because it gives us value in our eyes. But the good news is the Bible tells us you already have value. You already have this inherent dignity and worth and value. Such good news. I can't keep saying that. Such good news. My girls and I were laughing the other week about someone said, oh, we overheard this person saying something about they were Bible bashed. And my teenage daughters, uh, they just laughed. They were like, what would that be like? God loves you. He wants to help you. You've got a life of hope. Everything's going to work out in the end. You've got purpose. You've got destiny. Bash, bash. <laughs> That's really, it's good news, darn it. Yeah, that's really, if you're being Bible bash, it's whoa, hard to take. You walk away with a big smile and no bruises. 
I don't know what those other people are doing, but they're not Bible bashing. In, the, in our Bible college, what we've been learning about is how to read the Old Testament because it, it was written a long time ago. And what we have had this, this saying, them, us, and me. And so we're using that as the basis for um, how we're learning how to read the Old Testament. So all the books of the Bible before Jesus. So what it basically means is them. What did this mean to the people of the time that it was written to? What did it mean in their cultural context? What was going on in that time? And so what did it mean to them? And then from there we look at us. Us as humanity as a whole now in our century. Um, Us as the church. Us as the time since Jesus came. And finally me. What does this scripture mean to me? What's God saying to me? Because the Bible is alive and active. It's not just a historical document. God speaks to us now. So what we're going to look at is a them, us, and me. And we're just going to look at this two verses in the book of Genesis. Tiny little scripture here. Tiny, just two little verses. And out of these verses, if you had nothing else in the Bible, actually you can get all the answers of life from here. Who am I? Who is God to me? Who am I to other people? How am I meant to interact with other people? What am I doing on this planet? How am I meant to interact with the planet? Why do things go wrong? What's, why are people mean? How can, I, how can I change that? How can I get better? Why did Jesus come? What is Jesus about? What is sin about? You can get all the answers out of this. How cool is that? I won't be here all day. I just will delve into those, those things and I hope that you'll take this message home and open your Bible on your phone or, um, or as I said, we can give you a Bible if you don't have one. And I hope that you'll read it and pray about it and study about it and, and talk about it and ask God to reveal it to you in a deeper way. Because this is really serious, important issue. It's fundamental to know who am I, what am I here for. That's the fundamental message of life. And all that the world can give us is something like, what's the meaning of life? 42. Who knows that? No, yeah, one or two people. That's from a movie. Okay, so uh, let's read the scripture. Genesis 1, verse 26 to 27. And so this is as part of creation, God's making the first day, the second day, the third day, gets to the sixth day. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the, on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created. In the image of God created he him. Male and female he created them. That's a strange translation. Uh, But basically it says, and in all the translations now it says, humanity or men and women, as God created men and women equally. God created man and woman in his image and his likeness. So when we think about images now, what comes to mind? There's lots of, that word means lots of things to us, but generally in our time now, like images, that we're inundated with images. They're, they're a dime a dozen, you know. Uh, we've got people with Snapchatting and Facebooking and selfies and like, you can just get 20, images of yourself and your food every single day if you like. They are spontaneous, instantaneous, and they mean 
practically nothing. They're feeling meaningless, don't they? Or if it's a good one, it's photoshopped, it's fake, it's airbrushed. You've got those programs, I know, filters. And a generation ago, so the image to us is kind of like, well, images aren't that special, there we go. At one heart, tag it. Uh, generations ago, they might have thought of image to do with, uh, I don't know, like rich people having portraits and then putting them up over their fireplaces with the dog and the fox and a staff or something like that. So images might have meant something a few, a few generations ago. So we're going to start by looking at what is this idea of image and likeness mean to the people who were first reading this uh, or hearing these stories from Genesis, these accounts. So, you ready? You looking ready? You are, you're looking ready. Edgiest seat stuff, I know. In ancient times, so there were places were ruled by kings and pharaohs. And the kings or pharaohs would take over other lands whenever they could. So let's say a king has come over to this land, they have a big battle, they take it over, and then the king doesn't stay there. He goes back to his own home city, his own hometown. So how did the king, without internet and news feeds and newspapers and mobile phones and billboards and TVs and radios, how did the king keep those people aware of who he was, of what his name was, of what he's like, of how he's ruling over them? What he would do is he would put statues all in the city and all around the boundaries of his realm. And those statues is the same word for what it says in the Bible, the image and likeness. So the king would put statues to represent him so that people would know who he was and what he's like. And then he would put uh, viceroys or governors in his place. So they would be there and they would rule and govern in his authority. Basically, they had like a lot of authority. They would, you know, dish out judgments and make decisions and uh, make rules and do taxes and whatever else they did. They basically had the run of the place, but it wasn't because of them. It wasn't their own authority. They weren't the king. They were governing in the king's name. So they would govern with the king's values and do the actions and words that the king would want them to say. They were advancing the kingdom on the king's behalf. So when the uh, ancient people of God were reading this verse, hearing this account of Genesis, they would have read it a bit more like this. Just like the kings and the governors, just like the kings had statues and governors to bear their image and their likeness to the people, so the people would know who they were and what they would like, were like and how they would rule. God made us to be his image and likeness to each other and to the world, to creation. So God made you to be his, to be a representation of him, like a statue is a representation of a king. So God made you and I to be his image and likeness to each other. So when you look at me and when I look at you and when we interact, we're meant to know more about who God is and what God is like. Wow. Let's let that sink in for a second. 
Since you were created in the image and likeness of God, you are an image bearer of God. That's the reason you were created. It's not something that you have like a position, like we have a book, or it's not something that we do like our actions. It's actually the substance of who you are. You are made in the image and likeness of God. You are the representation of God to everyone else. And you're made in this context of the earth to be his representative, to govern over your sphere of influence in the world, not on your own authority, but on his authority, to do things as his rule, to do things to further his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? So that's our life purpose. And if we stop looking at ourselves for a minute and look to God and see it from his point of view, what, what he was really saying about who men and women are to him, So he's making, you know, all of creation, he's making the land, he's filling it up, he's making the sea, he's filling it up, he's making the heavens, he's filling it up with birds. And then he gets to stop on day six and he says, it's like he's saying, this one, this being is different. This human being I'm going to make is really different, really special. This human being... I'm going to make, not just like some crazy looking platypus, I'm going to make it in my image and likeness and I'm going to put my own breath of life into them. So can you see from God's point of view, like when he made humans, when he created humans, it it was so special to him. It's such a, you know, overused word for wrong reasons, but we're so special and he wanted this, really intimate relationship with humanity that is different to the rest of creation. He put his own image into them, into us, and wanted us to be him to each other and him to the planet, his hands and feet, his mouthpiece, work for his kingdom as his image bearers. And it gets even better because in ancient times, in this time that this was first written, the, this revelation to these people, only the kings or the pharaohs were thought of as divine. Only the kings or the pharaohs were called as, like, this person has the image of God. And that gave them superiority. They were superior because they were godlike. It gave them, um, you know, that was their credentials for being the king or the pharaoh because somehow they were in between heaven and earth, they were above everyone else, they were special, nothing could hurt them, nothing could harm them, they were walking through life on a different level of existence than everyone else because they had this image or likeness of God about them. And so for these Israelite people, these people of God reading this account in Genesis, it is wildly, radically countercultural that, that, that this word of God says, not just the kings, not just the pharaoh, every single person, even from the moment of creation, not because of anything you could ever do, but from the moment of creation, men and women equally carry the divine image and likeness of God. Every person, from being the pharaoh to being a slave, from being sick or disabled to being an Olympic athlete, doesn't matter what colour, what country, what religion you're from, where this good news says you were created 
in the image and likeness of God, which is the basis for equality across the whole world based on the word of, of God, based on Christianity. That God put his image within us. So we bear his image to each other. We carry the dignity of kings. And the Bible never once says that that is ever lost. There is sin in the world. There's what we call like the fall of man. But the Bible never says that that was lost from us. That's taken away. It is covered. It is marred. It's, it's corrupted within us. And I think everyone is probably on board with that already. And we can... I mean, is there anyone who's, when I'm saying here, when, you know, you were created in the image and likeness of God to be God's representation to the world and when people see you, they're meant to get to know who God is and what God is like. Is there anyone among us going, yes, that is an accurate description of my everyday life? No? Me neither. So the, it hasn't been lost there's nothing we can do to lose the image of God, the likeness of God, because it's our substance and we can't lose it any more than we can stop being a human and turn into a cat. It's who we are, but it has been corrupted. The Bible in the New Testament, it says it's been corrupted by sin. So there's a gap, isn't there? I think we can all feel it. There's a gap between what God is saying here this is what I made you, how I made you, who I made you to be, and, and how we experience life. Now we can see that gap. And that's called sin. And if you're not really familiar with what sin is, because it's a word laden with lots of meaning and um, sometimes wrong meaning, think of sin in the context of this image of God, this likeness of God that we carry. Sin just means going against the way God wants us to do stuff. And you might think, well, <laughs> It doesn't sound so bad. I go against the stuff that everyone else wants me to do and that works out all right. I don't do everything, my mum says, and that works out all right. So what's so bad about sin? But if you think about it in the context of this image and likeness of God, the image and likeness of God is within us. Here we are. We show each other what God, who God is and what God is like. When we sin, when we turn against that way, against God's way, we can't see God anymore we're not when we don't act as the image and likeness of God to each other we cover up who God is we become like a country of people who have a king but they don't know who he is they can't see him they don't benefit from his guidance they're not following his ways at all I'm not saying the country Australia I'm saying humanity it cuts and cuts us off from being able to see God God becomes invisible and far away and everyone's like who is he? What's he like? We don't know because we can't see it in each other. We can't see it anymore because we've corrupted that image and likeness within us. So that's what sin is. It cuts us off from being able to see who God is. And the goodest news of all <laughs> is that that's why Jesus came. And if you've been in church for many years and you're thinking, what did you, what is this stuff to do with Jesus on the cross? This is why, because of the image of God, because the Bible says Jesus is the image of God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. Humanity is wandering on this planet going, we can't see God anymore. We don't know what he's like. 
We don't know how to speak to him. And Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is God. He's the son of God and he is God. And he's, he's like the real man and we were the paintings. We're the image of him. We're taken on his image and his likeness. So when Jesus revealed himself, he became like one of those kings that stood in between heaven and earth and brought heaven and earth together. He died on the cross to bring heaven and earth together to show us that what it means to be the image and likeness of God. And outside of Jesus, we cannot know because we cannot see him. So it's only through Jesus following him, believing him, trying to be like him, that, that corrupted image within us can be restored. And then we can begin to shine that to each other, to bear his image more clearly again. In 1 Colossians 15 in the Bible, it says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He created before anything was created. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. He made the things we can see. He made the things we can't see. He existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. Through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So just as the, the idea of the king was bringing heaven and earth together in this one man, Jesus brings God to us, the visible image of the invisible God. So how are we meant to, how are we meant to interact with each other? We look to Jesus and follow him. How are we meant to govern creation? We do, we follow Jesus and we treat creation with his values, with his words, with his ways, on his behalf to further his kingdom. In the Message Bible, they put it like this, 1 Colossians 15. We look at the Son of God and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the Son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. When we look to Jesus, when we follow Jesus, when we unite ourselves to Jesus, then we will be able to understand this image and God that God has placed within us, that God has made us to be. So that's good news, isn't it? And God wants to tell everyone. God wants every person to know. You can't lose the image and likeness of God within you. You can't be ever unworthy. You can't ever get rid of carrying that dignity of kings. You can't ever stop who you are. But you can cover it up. You can mar it. But following Jesus, which is a journey of a thousand steps and just begins with one by just telling him, I want to follow you, Jesus. Following Jesus will begin that process of restoration so that once again we'll become, or what more fully we'll become, who God intended us to be. That God made you to be the representation of him to each other. To every, regardless of how they're treating you, that when people interact with you, they know what God is like. They know who God is. 
just from coming near you. That we're his representation and that we're representing him throughout however we govern our sphere and our lives. So if I could have the musicians up here, please. I told you, it's all in that verse, the whole lot, isn't it? God created us with our purpose to be his representatives, to be his in representation of him. Why is there pain in the world? Because we hurt each other. We don't treat each other with the dignity of kings. We don't treat each other as though we bear his likeness and each person carries his likeness. And we lost our sense of who God is. We got cut off from who God is because we could no longer see it in each other. We no longer were clearly bearing his image. So that's why Jesus came. The true image of the unseen God and all we need to do is just start this process and keep on this process and keep drawing near to Jesus and tell other people about it. I've had such a, it's a Christian way to say it, but I've had such a heavy heart these past couple of weeks because I met some young people who are making just ridiculous choices. They're not even making choices. They're just wasting their lives just throwing their lives away, putting themselves in danger. Just, and people around them are saying, oh, they're just teenagers rebelling or, you know, teenagers at risk, if you like, or they're just rebelling. But I can see it from an eternal point of view. They've lost who they are. They don't know who they are. They've got no context for how they're living, for any choices that they're making. Pauline would say it makes her angry. It makes me angry and sad, not at them, but at the, their life's just being stolen from them. People need to know who they are. Otherwise, all we've got to go on is our feelings. And you can change your feelings with a bar of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> They're too fickle to base our lives on. We've got to tell people, we treat each other with the dignity of kings. I saw, we, we saw this um, Michael Moore uh, documentary called Sicko and at the very, it was about America, healthcare, and at the very end of the show, he's got this kind of Easter egg add-on bit and he goes to Norway and he says, I couldn't even put this in the show because no one would believe me what they do in Norway. And what they do in Norway is they have um, like their prisons, so he's comparing it to America where they have like death row and it's all terrible. Um, they have prisons, which is just on an island, like a beautiful, surrounded by the sea, beautiful island. And these, these are high security prisons where they've got, you know, murderous people, terrible crimes they did. They said a few of them on the show, terrible crimes. Um, and they live on a, this island and they, and they go to the mainland to work and then they come back each night and they go on the boats and they, and they work in the fields and they do all this stuff and they just live in houses with five other men. And the prison guard, Michael Moore's like, what are you doing? How are these people not escaping and creating mayhem? But nobody, do, nobody does. Nobody escapes. And the prison officer says... The prison officers work with them. We work in the fields with them. We get the vegetables. We do all the jobs with them. We walk along beside them the whole time to show them that we are the same, that they have dignity and that they don't have to live how they were living. They can live a better life. And that's the Christian message. We want to treat people with what we know to be true, that they were 
born, created in the image and likeness of God, no matter how they respond to us, no matter what's gone on in their lives, no matter how much they've allowed that image to be corrupted within them, that we will treat them with the dignity of kings. We will treat them so that when they interact with us, they know who God is, what God is like. Let's just close our eyes now and and pray. Because this is the final part, the me part. just want to give you a moment to reflect and just think about what is God saying to you today. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to follow him for the first time. Maybe Jesus is showing you who he think, how he thinks of you, who he made you to be. Your value, your worth. And it's got nothing to do with your stuff or your family or where you've come from or what you do or how you strive. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's just gently been showing you that gap how you haven't treated people, how you haven't treated yourself as an image bearer of God. He doesn't want you to sit in that guilt. He wants to just forgive you, to come to him with arms open wide. He wants you to shine his image. Made in the image and likeness of God. Lord Jesus, this is such good news, such good news that you created us for a purpose, that we've got a purpose and a destiny in you. Lord, I pray that this word, that we've been created in your image and likeness, that we are your representations, that we are to live as representatives of you, I pray that this word would sink deep into our hearts, sink deep into our minds, that it would become the context that we live in, the context that we interact with others in, the way that we live our lives. We just want to follow you, Jesus, to become restored in you, Lord, and restored bearers of your image. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'd like to invite, as again I just said, if anyone doesn't have a Bible, see me afterwards. If you want one on your phone, see me afterwards. And I encourage you to keep thinking about that image and likeness of God and what that means to you. As I just invite Sandra to lead us in some notices in our time of giving.